Dr. Finney, as of right now, I'm laughing at you all calling me Dr. Finney. Dr. Finney. (laughs) Dr. Dr. Finney. Shandine won't let me call her Dr. Garcia, otherwise I'll. All right. Oh, Sean, I've been calling you Shandine. So, Shandine, please call me Carolyn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll call call Delma Dr. D. Okay. I love Doctor D, and I've been calling. No, it makes yeah. me sound like I should be hosting something at midnight. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you should be <laughs> right. with, a, right. with a red handkerchief over your light. Uh huh. <laughs> like, yeah. Thunderstorm is, noises in the background, yeah, yeah, low yeah. rumble kind of well, vibe. The, mm-hmm. yeah, Doc- yeah. the doctors are in the house. Welcome to another episode of Dive in Justice, the podcast that explores building ideal communities with our less than ideal selves. I am Delma Jackson. And I'm Shandine Garcia. And today we have the notorious Dr. Carolyn Finney with us. We got to spend a little time checking in with her this morning. And I am telling you, this is going to be an amazing episode. We're going to be talking about the love of money. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, DJ Three. Yeah. How's your heart? How you doing? What's new? What's churning in your brain right now? The first thing I thought about when I was considering a check-in was the fact that um, there's a good brother that this community just mm-hmm. lost recently to cancer. Um. My homeboy, uh, Charles. And Charles is 10 years older than me, right? He's in his mid-50s. And um, just lost him too young. He had just finished his uh, doctorate in social work. Um, And did so even as he knew his time was Hmm. short. You know, he chose to just push through, but... Um, our dearest friend and, and colleague and sister Regina is actually his cousin. Um, so she's mourning his loss as well. Um, but I met Chuck, as I called him. Um, I met him in 2014 when I was in graduate school Um and had decided to take advantage of a study abroad opportunity for two weeks. Um, initially, we were uh, supposed to go to China, and they um, something went down. It was weird. Still don't fully understand what happened, but China ended up getting canceled, and they offered us Utrecht in the Netherlands instead. And I had already gone to the Netherlands, but this is before they legalized recreation in the States. So I'm like, you mean I get to go back to the place where I can smoke all the weed I want? Fuck yeah, sign me up, right? Like, who's not doing that? And I'm in school getting credits to smoke. You didn't even have to finish the sentence before you booked your plane ticket, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I might have been like typing right. my shit as I'm selling talking to CDs, whomever, right? selling books, <laughs> <laughs> exchanging your clothes you know, down at the uh, local so that you have more spending for money. Real. Yeah, yeah. For real. Um, but my babies were young in 2014. And so this opportunity was perfect because it was a two week immersion. It wasn't like what I had done before where I was there a little more than a semester, you know. Um, So I checked in with my uh, then wife and was like, hey, I kind of want to take advantage. And she was graceful and was like, yeah, I got you. So thankfully, she was willing and able to hold it down for a couple weeks so I could get out of here. But there was 10 of us from the University of Michigan, uh, Flint that went on this trip and Chuck was the only other black male on the trip. 
with me. Um, everybody else was white. And um, we did our two weeks. And he ended up being my roommate. And got to know the brother. And he was just a good dude. You know, he was the probably I think he was the oldest person, you know, with us and definitely kind of took on a almost a parental, not a strict parent, like a cool parent <laughs> kind of role, you know, but just wanted to make sure everybody was good. But not judgy. All the time. Um, never, never judgy. Right. Um, the kind of parent I could never be. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> Word. Word. Um, but no, he's just a good guy. And I'm always nervous about who my roommates will be in these situations because I feel like a bad situation can make or break your trip, you know. Um, but he was the easiest roommate in the world, you know. Um, and having him as a roommate also meant getting to know him a little bit more. Um, and just really liked the dude. And we stayed in touch that community of people that went overseas we had a ball pretty much everybody jailed we stayed in touch when we came back stateside and you know continued to be in touch with one another over the years and yeah um his wife threw him a birthday party uh just this past winter and by then they mm. knew his time was limited and a few of us who went on that trip showed up for the birthday party. And I hadn't seen them in a while. And it was good to reunite. And But Chuck was um, finishing his bachelor's then. I was the only graduate student on that trip. Everyone else was um, doing their bachelor's degree. And from that time, yeah, he did his bachelor's, his master's, and just wrapped up his PhD um, right before he passed. And... um He's going to be yeah. missed. We were the group that went overseas. We were talking to one another on Facebook, just kind of reminiscing, sharing pictures of him. And everybody was just talking about what a good dude he was. He has two daughters. One is in undergrad, one in high school, I believe. And that's a hell of a time to lose a parent. I mean, it's never a good time to lose a parent, but, you know. Um, I love that family, you know. It's just good people. His wife, beautiful soul. Um, and my heart goes out to them. What's coming up for me, and I've said this in other instances, that disproportionate health outcome yep. shit. And it's infuriating how many, particularly brothers, that I see go in their 40s, their 50s. I share with you, I even had that come up for me when I went to visit mm -hmm. my father's mm -hmm. tombstone. And how relatively young he was compared to some of the other um, veterans around him. It's really hard to like sign on to Zoom and see all of these white faces. To see older white men talk about how they just went to visit their parents. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck you, 70. Yeah. How old are they? And must, how old must are you? <laughs> be fucking must be nice. nice. Must be nice. Must be nice. And it's not they fought. And I don't wish anything the on their, their the family. Yeah. Right. But it's like, it's hard to see that or hear that. And I don't expect them to understand. And I don't have the time nor the energy to explain it. So I keep that sentiment to myself. I think we need to bring that sentiment to the foreground. Not just because, um, not for you to process all this stuff, 
But like whiteness and white people have got to hold space for us to be able to say must be fucking nice. And for them to not take it as judgment on them or about them, but a recognition around the privilege they fucking sit in, especially as you're like Mm -hmm. navigating this stuff with your friend Chuck. I mean, I get it. I get it. I didn't mean to interrupt Mm -hmm. you. I just the platitudes of like, oh, the person died too soon. Fuck you. They died because the fucking systemic structural racism in our goddamn country has created the conditions for white people to live till they're 120 and for us to fucking die by 50. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. If it were one offs, that'd be mm-hmm. one thing. But you get you hear this news. So often when I as as a as a fan of hip hop. I follow things on social media about the culture and you get word of these artists Mm-hmm. dying and it's like it's cancer mm-hmm. it's liver kidney it's lung you know it's not what people tend to think of and what they associate with hip-hop it's not gang culture i'm not talking about drive-bys and shit that happens sometimes but that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about five dog right People I grew up with who helped shape my worldview and they're important to me and they're dying of shit that. Entirely preventable. Entirely. Entirely. And I'm and to be fair, I don't know these folks relationships to medicine and medical care. I don't know how good they were about following up or even going to be seen. I know a lot of people have well-earned mistrust of medical communities. I know patriarchy and pride can sometimes play a role, right? I don't need to see nobody. I'm fine. I get that. But some of that is informed, again, by the fact that we have a history of medical abuse and well-earned mistrust, right? If you were the institution you were supposed to be, then maybe we wouldn't be so reluctant to fuck with you, right? For anybody listening who wants to point out or feels that urge to be like, but this or but that, fuck off. This ain't the time for that. I'm not unaware of the nuance. I'm simply naming something right now. And that's what I mean by choosing often not to name it it in other spaces because the minute I hear that, I might lose my job. Because my response ain't going to be nothing nice. Which is also colossally unfair. Exactly. <laughs> Don't I know it? <laughs> you get to be stupid, willfully ignorant, they, but I don't get to be right, angry You get about to say dumbass shit like, oh, I'm going to go visit my great grandparents because they're still alive. And you know, it's so great that blah, blah. Go fuck yourself, man. And again, to the not have to do the work that's like, I'm not saying I wish your great grandparents were dead. <laughs> right, right. Fuck. Like the circles of care you have to go to to just name your truth. But what what does that end up meaning? You got to suck it all down, like push it all down, fake a way of being on a Zoom meeting to get off it, just have all that shit come back up in your psyche. That's hard on your body. Mm-hmm. Peace to his family and friends. Um in this time of transition, that brother is widely uh, seen and missed. There's both the sadness of him specifically and the, the anger of a broader trend that his passing is calling up for me right now. Yeah. Um, so that's that's where I'm at. That's that's the thing in the forefront for me. Um, yeah. What's up with you? Well, first, how your babies? What babies? Your babies, your own babes. My yeah. children. I forget about them sometimes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you mean you mean oh, I have shit. kids? Oh right, those oh, babies. No. Got it. <laughs> let me let me let me check on them. Shit. Um, no, Dino and I just left the ortho appointment. Um, her braces were messing with her, so I took her in real quick. She's good. My son is with mom this week. Um, but we text back and forth here and there, and he seems to be doing well. Yeah, good. they're good. Good. They're good. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll certainly be holding you and um, one of our other beloveds, um, who I know is impacted um, in my heart this week and in my prayers. I think that yeah. I, I, I get so bitter about it, and, and I'm, I'm bitter specifically about my father, but all the rest of us, you know, like indigenous people, we die in fucking droves before we hit 50 you know, Latinx people out here in New Mexico, we like we die like it's like diabetes, heart disease, whatever, and all of it. Like, and I, but I think about mm-hmm. my father and how the VA said once you hit past a certain age, we don't do kidney transfers. And I was like, I'll sell my fucking soul to get you a kid, and he wouldn't let me. And it like mm-hmm. so, what the impact does on us as we're trying to keep them alive too is a whole other, you know, yeah. shit show. So, um, I feel that anger and I feel, I'm just, I'm, I'm with you. And those, like I said, those platitudes of, Oh, died too soon. Just be like, fuck you. My mom died at 33. My dad died like in his early 70. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, don't, don't give me that. That is not, mm-hmm. is not helpful. Um, yeah. So, you know, just invitation to be good to yourself. I know um, sometimes you listen to this playlist every year on your father's um, death anniversary. Just wondering what that playlist, can, mm-hmm. if it can bring you any, a little bit of solace as you're navigating this. Um, mm. So thank you for sharing. And I'm, I'm with you on what we're telling our listeners. Fuck off. If you get defensive about any piece of shit that he said, <laughs> I will body block him before you get to punch him. Um, you know, my last two check-ins for the last two episodes were, were a little heavy. You know, we was navigating the, the bullshit blood quantum insanity that we have to navigate, the mm-hmm. imposter syndrome, the fucking the pressure to be perfect and be experts and all this stuff. Well, I, I was really trying to take a page out of, out of the, some, some books that of lessons that you offered and our beloved Taj and my beloved Jonah offered. And one of the quotes that I think you stole from Kavita who stole from, I think Resma was um, nibble and not gorge on all of the content that we need to learn. But well, I've been studying a lot under this really, really amazing human named um, Leticia Nieto. And I was listening to one of her um, teachings and she was talking about what it takes, the science behind what it takes to um, develop a new habit. And I forget if it was Gladwell or who the who the hell it was that did the like so many minutes and then it becomes so many weeks and so many hours and then it becomes a habit. And she said, there's another thing that you should add to that. And it's if it's playful, it decreases the amount of time to turn something into a habit. So say if you're trying to get into the habit of, 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 exer- of exercising, right? Then um, make it fun. Don't be like, okay, you got to do 10 reps and it's miserable. But like turn on your favorite music or get your carbs up by like, or uh, do, do a lot of cardio by um, like going out and chasing your children or just things like that, things that are fun, like make it, and the more playful it is, you decrease the amount of um, time required to turn that activity into a habit. So I was thinking about that, plus adding that to the nibble, not gorge. And so I started, I learned, I memorized this dance yoga thing um, to help whatever exercise. I know you're laughing and mocking me, but I memorized it. It's, I I'm saw not. your face. <laughs> I was happy. That was a genuine oh, smile. Right, okay. I'm, I'm, I was glad to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's it rare is. to it see. Is. I get that. <laughs> and it's not long. It's 15 minutes. Um and I memorized it about uh, like, oh, like two or three times. And then I started turning on um, some decal podcasts and decal lessons so I could listen to them while doing that. And so it was great. 
I was I wasn't as uh, sad or as frustrated or as overwhelmed or as impostered, if you will, self-impostered. I don't know. I just made up a, a word. Um, so that um, I'm just grateful. I, as some of my listeners know, this pod is hard for me. Um, we we talk usually. We didn't today, but we usually talk for a good hour or two before we even get on and record. Really diving into our deepest vulnerabilities in order to sort of unpack what we want to share and, and, and the lessons that I'm getting from, you know, you and, and our guests and the process time is helping. <laughs> it's really like, it's helping. And so for as much shit that I give you about my reluctance to do in this pod, I'm, it's helping. So I did want to, I did want to yeah. say that. I also wanted to say thank you to some of our listeners. I, w- I was being flippant the last time we were recording about because Delmo wants to do um, the next season of the pod. He wants it to focus on love. And I was talking about a lot of snarky mm-hmm. things and I was like, well, that's probably why I'm single. Well, I got a couple of listeners that, who had written to me <laughs> saying like, so I didn't know you were single. I'm wondering if, so I just want to clarify for my uh, listeners, um, not clarify, but really invite them into um, learning a little bit about Kim Tallbear's work and critical polyamory. Um, I'm not deficit. There's nothing wrong with me. Because I'm not in a colonized, single, monogamous, married fucking relationship. So I just want to, and I'm not saying that defensively. I'm saying that as a, like, learn some shit, listeners, a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. I'm saying in the sort of playful space, I am dating a new person now. And it is going well. And it's exciting. One of my beloveds, Emil, told me once when I had a big crush on someone and I was like, I know it's probably not going to work out, but blah, blah. And he was like, fuck that. Lean into the fun of the crush. Who cares if you know it's not going to, who cares the giddy and the fun of it mm-hmm. that like, don't mm-hmm. already truncate the excitement of something just because you've whatever experience or bad outcomes or whatever you've been um, shaped or constructed, whatever to be. And so Leaning into the playful of the new habit making, the playful of the dating world, um, has really had the past couple weeks be be fun. On top of the last thing that I'll check in on is my baby boy's in town. And every time, every time one of them is home, it's like the colors are brighter. Mm-hmm. It's like the mm-hmm. like when you change a light bulb or the um the sunsets and the and the and the sunrises have deeper colors and and I'm happy that they're grown and gone in the world like I like believe mm-hmm. me I'm not the sad empty nester who's like my life is you know sad without them like <laughs> go be like do you sure. but when they come home it is yeah uh I don't know, pure gold. I don't have I don't have a good expression for it. So he's here. He's looking for a new gig. He wants to um, work somewhere because he's taking a year off of college. He was going to work somewhere between now and January. And then he's applying for these programs to go live in, I don't know, Brazil or Costa Rica. I don't know whether he's going to mm. do permaculture, sustainable farming or some shit. I don't know. He's, he's on his own adventure. But he's here right now. And... He's helping good, with the house good. and we're painting rooms and he's helping take care of errands for me. And, and he's also learning some stuff because I was like, I need a spare tire for the for, for truck. Can you figure out how to get one? Right. So he's calling junkyards and trying to figure shit out. And it's just I just fucking love him. And so the amount of joy that I'm feeling right now is, is pretty big. That's really sweet. Um, I'm really glad that you're in this space where things feel fun and you can lean into that and really feel that because yeah like you said there's been a lot going on and a lot of heaviness and i know our check-ins are not the sum total totally of our lives obviously right and i always i always assume there's some joy um present for you but to be able to hear you name these pieces 
um, all together. Um, I'm really happy for you, and I'm glad you have that. Um, I always want that for, for everybody, and particularly for the folks that I love. Um, so good on you. I'm wondering... Um, so he's going to be there until he bounces. For no, school? until he gets a gig. So the gigs that he's okay. looking for, that he's looking for, are he's like the world is whatever. He's so he's applying to jobs in, you know, Vermont and Florida and wherever. wherever. He yeah. just interviewed okay. with a um, hotel in Jackson, Wyoming, and he, yeah, oh, he shit. just okay. messaged me yeah, saying yeah. like, yeah, "Interview yeah, went yeah. great. I got a second interview later today." I mean, you know, he's. 20 years old and he's got his car and he I worked all summer long and he saved money so and he's you know in between mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean this is year off so he's going to do whatever he's going to do and he's a pretty responsible dude yeah. so we'll see where he goes excellent excellent and even just and good on you too you know um, and all the other ancestors and, and elders and the village he has because when I was that age, responsible is not a term I could use for mm. myself at <laughs> that time in my life. I was a lot of things. I was a lot of things. Some of them were even good things, but responsible was not one of them. That's so funny. good on y'all, for real. That's big. No, he's, That's he's a, a responsible deal. dude. I was terrified because, you know, he was driving across the country by himself and he wanted to go canyon hopping, right? So he did marble mm-hmm. and bryce and grand and bear ears and like all these places and i was like okay son you know that he was mom i know i know and even one of the camping sites he drove up to and it definitely looked sketch he wasn't really sure and he was like you know what i need to be hero turned around went to town and got a hotel like, <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. yeah good 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 yeah no i um yeah i think and i've said this before but I think men are granted permission to not grow up in this culture. We get to stay boys for all our lives. And so to to hear you name that you have a 20-something who's handling business, um, you've done good work. Well, thank you. So you should pat yourself on the back. Well, and it was a village, like you said. Uh, He's got a lot of beloveds around him. For sure. Yeah, hold him as well. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll be like him one day and get my shit together. I don't know. Um, I am. I'm not sure what it is you received from some of our listeners in terms of feedback around being single. (laughs) But it sounded like someone was having thoughts and feels about your um the choices you oh yeah yeah they were straight up if you're single why don't you date me kind of responses and oh it's so sad i I didn't know you were single oh my gosh i didn't like right (laughs) fuck yourself (laughs) (laughs) because i was being flippant on the pod right and i was like oh maybe that's why i'm single (laughs) ha 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 yeah 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 yeah. when we come back shandine and i are super excited to be joined by the good Dr. Carolyn Finney, one of my favorite doctors in the world, by far, bar none, hands down, et cetera, et cetera. Please, please come back, join us. You won't want to miss this. We'll be right back. Thank you for giving Dive and Justice a listen. We recognize that your time is the most valuable currency you have. If you're digging the pod, there are a couple of things you can do to show your support. First, head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds of your time. And every review helps us grow our listenership and broadens the conversations we can have together. The second thing you can do and should do is consider supporting the podcast by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dive underscore in underscore justice. Welcome back. As I said earlier, we are 
pleased to be on Words to be joined today by a colleague and friend and someone who I've always admired greatly, uh, the good Dr. Carolyn Finney. Uh, Dr. Finney is a storyteller, author, and a cultural geographer who is grounded in both artistic and intellectual ways of knowing. She pursued an acting career for 11 years, but five years of backpacking trips through Africa and Asia and living in Nepal changed the course of her life. Motivated by these experiences, Carolyn returned to school after a 15-year absence to complete a BA and MA in gender and environmental issues in Kenya and Nepal, and a PhD in geography at Clark University, where she was a Fulbright and Canon National Science Scholar Fellow. Along with public speaking nationally and internationally, writing, media engagements, consulting and teaching, as she has held positions at Wesley College, the University of California, Berkeley and the University of Kentucky, she served on the U.S. National Park Advisory Board for eight years. Her first book, Black Faces, White Spaces, Reimagining the Relationship of African-Americans to the Great Outdoors, was released in 2014. Recent publications include Memory Divine in a Darker Wilderness, Black Nature Writing from Soil to Stars, Joy is a Revelation in Nature Swagger, Stories and Visions of Black Joy in the Outdoors, Self-Evident. Reflections on the Invisibility of Black Bodies in Environmental Histories, The Perils of Being Black in Public, We Are All Christian Cooper and George Floyd, and Who Gets Left Out of the Great Outdoors Story. She's currently working on her new book, Creative Nonfiction, that takes a more personal journey into the very complicated relationship between race, land, and belonging in the United States, in a performance piece entitled The N-Word, Nature Revisited as a part of an Andrew W. Mellon residency at the New York Botanical Gardens Humanities Institute. She's involved with a number of documentary film projects. Her family's story appears in the HBO documentary Trees and Other Entanglements in fall 2023. Along with being a columnist at the Earth Island Journal, she was awarded the Alexander and Melamit Medal for the American Geographical Society and is a scholar, artist in residence in the Franklin Environmental Center at Middlebury College. You can find more about her work at carolynfinney.com. I will say that is an extensive and only a small piece of a much larger story. A much larger vision of career consciousness and commitment. Um, personally, having known and had the pleasure of being around and with Dr. Finney over the last several years as a part of my time with the Center for Whole Communities, um, I've always enjoyed our conversations, I've always enjoyed her insights, I've always enjoyed her academic offerings self-reflection but I think navigating this world in these spaces with so much grace intellect joy laughter and presence has been the piece that for me has meant the most and resonated with me the most um, I always look forward to connecting with her whenever I'm in Vermont. And I'm so excited to have you on this show with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my God. That was like generous and fabulous. And I, I should have been taping it so I could hear it every day when I wake I mean, up. It is recorded. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thank you. And I have to laugh. I'm sorry. You know, uh, audience folks you know i i gave uh, delma my bio and i said you know read whatever works for you and he played he read the whole damn thing the whole time. <laughs> you deserve it you deserve thank it you. I, I had to thank you for that i'm just I was I like, oh, that, that was nice of you but thank you and of course delma i love you so there it is and i Boy. finally get to be face to face with sean dean 
who I've heard about and, you know, no, I know you said we met somewhere, but this is like the real meeting. It's like the Vulcan mind meld. You know, that's like, you know, we're doing some kind of thing. We're almost already in 3D. Yeah. It feels so alive. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So there thank you, you both actually for what you bring and, and in terms of making space to have these, in, these conversations and inviting me in. So I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank yeah. You, thank you. Um, I want to invite you to name what it was that you observed in your time that led you to follow this particular path, this particular trajectory. And I assume that there were things already present before you went overseas, obviously, right? Yeah. But I'm guessing something clicked. Something shifted, something awoke um, as you were outside of the States that led you to pursue this particular path when you did. So, you know, and this was, you know, listening um, to some of the things you and Shandine were talking about earlier. And this is in answer to your question, but, you know, I never have a short answer. Hello. Uh, (laughs) I was writing down for myself. what drives me, I think what drove me then as, uh, you know, when I first dropped out of college at uh, 18, 19, before I went back wanting to sort of be off on my own, when I, a number of years later, started saving my money and said, I want to go overseas and backpack and see the world and be in the world, is in no particular order, autonomy, independence, freedom, and wholeness. And I, I don't even have to look at my notes because I understand. And all those things are still true, right? Um, when we talk about, you know, becoming, becoming adults and choosing to work in the world in a very particular way and engaging different entities around that and having that. I've had pushback on all those things from so many sectors, whether it has to do with And I say this with love, my own family that raised me, the issues of gender, the question of being black, the question of not having lots of money, of joining certain institutions that need to perpetuate themselves. And so, and if I'm very generous, don't know how to engage difference. If I'm not so generous, want you to be like them in order to serve them instead of doing the work of change, right? So autonomy, (laughs) freedom, independence, and wholeness, um, uh, so I think I wouldn't have been able to tell you this if you asked me when I was 27 and I went on this backpacking trip around the world with my then husband thinking we're going to save the marriage. But who, who the hell thinks that going around the world is going to save your marriage? Okay, I was 27. Give me, give me a break. It did not, but it changed my life entirely. It was, and some of it was really hard to discover that I wasn't the person I was hoping I was. You know, there were ways that I, I had those moments um, to, to discover how fearful I had become about moving in the world on my own, um, but also to discover that I loved it, like it pushed all my boundaries and I could, I, I had so much more, you know, for myself, not because I was better than or great or any of those things, but just because I wanted more and I wanted to be able to show up more and see the world more and, um, figure out what that is and what a privilege to be able to do so. You know, I worked and saved money and I didn't have much. Um, And honestly, I still don't have much in some ways um, in terms of the expectations of what I should have at my age. Um, But uh, I, it honestly, and I say this in a lot of my talks about healing, there's a quote that I wrote down because I was thinking about, so I get these, um, I think it's called cosigns. So daily on my phone, you'll get a little thing, a little message, like, you know, you know, I get, Oh yeah, I, I've got cosigns. Like, I love that. And me too. Like every day I'm like, what the, what the hell, what kind of shit are you going to tell me today? And sometimes they tell me something, you know, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Other times I'm like, what? Like, that's really weird. But this was, um, uh, about a couple of weeks ago, because I wrote down it was August 18th, and it said, you can, be hurt, you can be hurting and heal at the same time, right? And mm. there was something about uh, something you both were saying earlier that made me think about that. And I think that part of the drive for me to do that travel was because I was hurting. Because I, I, think, I think all human beings on some level are in different ways. So I talk about this idea of brokenness. I understood it as my own 
you know, being adopted and holding that in a very particular way for better or for worse, you know, a sense of that I, I'm missing a whole lot of things and the question of being given away. I understand all the other stuff around it. I can have a full conversation around what that means, but emotionally in the gut and in my heart and how to hold that, that I'm never quite good enough. So your earlier conversations about imposter syndrome and all those issues, it's always at play for me. And there was a way within which some might say that I was running away. And I don't think I was, but I do think I was running, you know, because I think, Mm -hmm. and I want to say running towards something. You know, sure. if I see more, if I show up more, if I'm free, it's like if I can just get myself out there, if I can have more choices to make, you know, maybe I will take care of some of that hurt, right? I can heal some of that. Does that make sense? It does. And in thinking about some of the stuff that you chase, if we ask our listeners to reflect back and think about everything that was in the bio that that he read around the work that you do. And the wisdom that you put out into the world, informed by your experiences as someone who's traveled and been outdoors, how do you make sense with also having to make a living? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, uh, I don't always make sense of it. So first, let me say that. And actually, in asking the question, um, I'm learning to let go of trying to make sense of it. I know that's not, I, I, I'm going to answer wow. your question. Right. Yeah, I didn't unpack think, that for well, us. Yes. Well, well you just asked <laughs> it. That's the million dollar answer right. to the question well, that I'm, I'm just answering it to you. I'm saying this for the first time, right? Because as you're saying <laughs> it, I'm going, you know, sometimes I get, I just have to stop trying to make sense of it because sometimes it doesn't make sense. You know, I use humor a lot. Um, and I say things like, you know, I really, I don't own a home. I don't own a car. You know, I spend a lot of money on clothes. I'm upset. I, I clothes and art. Like, who do I think I am? And I joke and I'll say, you know, I think I'm Beyonce, but I'm not. And the reason I say that, because I struggle with that. I struggle with my own, you know, why do you got to spend that much? You know, really, what is that about? You know, what are you, are you trying to prove something? You know, what's up there? So there's these small everyday ways as a person, you know, that I feel like I'm not meeting the expectation that I set for myself. If you do this kind of work, if you um, are an activist in any form, actively engaging around social justice, environmental, you care beyond yourself, you are wanting to put yourself fully out there. It's like there's this invisible list of rules that you're not supposed to do. (laughs) Like, or, you know, like you can't, you shouldn't care about these things and look a certain way. Look, I wear makeup. I like to, right. come on, guess what? Dye my hair. Yes, I do. And, and, you know, I mean, there's things, not because I'm trying to be something else, but, but there's a way that it's like, I want to show up in my best way and what feels good to me in order to do so, which doesn't mean I'm any less honest. The making money, because I've also lost jobs. Right. So we, I mean, the experience I had at UC Berkeley is the big one that a lot of people know of being recruited there. And then my tenure fight for two years. The fact of the matter is, you know, I understood at different points that if I had just done exactly what they asked me to do, I might still be there. And it wasn't that I was saying, I'm not going to do what you want. I, I actually tried to be in conversation and say, Remember, you brought me here. This is what I'm trying to do. You know, I'm wor- I'll work with you. I'll work with you. I don't have to be you to work with you. I don't have to be. And actually, I can't be you. Because when I first got there and I was so depressed the first year, so depressed, and people said you had to work within the rules, and I said, no, I don't. I just have to work in relationship to the rules. I understand that there are rules. I'm old enough, Right. But I don't have to work within them because they don't serve me and they don't serve the work. And ultimately, I would say they don't actually serve you. But you can't hear me say that. So at least let me own the first two, right? That that nearly broke me. You know, I didn't go back to school because I wanted to get tenure. That is not that that is not why I do what I do. And I had to be reminded of that. You know, because of course I attached, like, am I not good enough? Oh my God, that brought up that whole vicious animal, you know, all those things that I had to pull apart. But at the end of the day, and with the help of a lot of people, some I know and some I don't, that were 
you know, reaching out to me and said, you need to, the poet Nikki Finney, her words saying, don't forget who you are. She'd call me and say, just don't forget who you are. Or Kaylin Tutrees saying to me, you know, what is your intention? Was your intention to get tenure? She goes, she's like, cause if that's what you'd wanted, you could, you know, you could get it. And I was like, shit, calling me out. You're right. And she's right. Um, and when, you know, said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to lose this job. And part of it was remembering for me that it's a job, but it is not the work. It is a job and I need to pay the rent and I have massive school debt and I don't have any secret fund that's funding me and there's nobody in my life with me. And that's not meant for anybody to feel sorry for me. You know, I in part choreograph that, you know, in part, you know, some of it's way out of my control, but you know, it's a job. And each time I will say that it allowed me to take bigger and bigger leap. the matter is I'm culpable and complicit in a capitalist system. I have a lot of I have credit cards. Um, you know, I was debt free until I was 34 years old. The minute I went back to school, I had to borrow. The minute that I wanted to step in and say, I want something else here because I understand the currency that's going to have in the marketplace, but also I want to learn. I've been learning out in the world. I want to go to school. I want to do these things, you know, and in order for me to do that, I'm going to have to borrow money to do it. I had to go in therapy. When I borrowed the first bit of money to finish my undergrad, they gave away free 10 sessions at Western Washington University where I was. And I went to all 10. And what I talked about the entire time was how freaked out I was that I was borrowing money, you know, and to say like, I'm going to, you know, um, I think that that, that piece, is really hard. It's hard for me to, um, you know, I have an agent now for speaking gigs and they set the price. And sometimes I'm going, really? I get that much? What the hell is happening? You know? And I feel I'm going to be a little exuberant sometimes like, Ooh, ah! you know, and then I feel a little, I am, is it guilty or like, well, what the fuck? If you were really, you know, doing the work, you don't need any money. And I'm like, well, what world are you living in? Because number one, I want to be healthy. I want to eat well. I want to have a thing over my head. I want to be able to show up for friends and family and actually also be able to show up with, for people I don't know if that's what I'm called to do. Um, I want to be able to um, feel good about myself because I'm highly flawed. And I'm not going to show up to anybody and say, it doesn't make a difference. When I knew that we were going to be on video today, I was like, well, you don't have to put your make, you don't have to put yourself together. Like, that's like top, please. I was like in the bathroom, like, get it together, get it together, you know? Um, and I need things in order to do that, you know, because I'm highly flawed and imperfect in, in my own desperate attempt <laughs> to bring my humanity to bear in an authentic and real way. But it's a series. And it's great. It talks about everything from, there's an episode on the vaping and jewel as a business on Ikea furniture, this one piece of furniture that's killed a bunch of little kids because it's tipped over, but really looked at what Ikea was doing in terms of way corners get cut and the ways with which companies don't want to make certain choices that would save more lives or be better for the planet. It was an episode on plastics and every episode came back to you know, the bottom line being money. The bottom line at every time. And it didn't mean that people they, they interviewed were bad people. And that's the complexity. W one of the women who's at the top, one of the executives, she seemed like a lovely person. And she was brave enough to come on camera and try to hold. I knew she was negotiating. Like, she's like, shit, I can't say this, but I got to hold this. I got to present this. I was like, she's doing all the things. I was like, oh my God. I know for Ikea, I was like, how is she doing all that? Um, and what was bothering me, I said, you know, sometimes it's there for me too. I'd like to say that I don't make my, I, I don't think I've ever made a choice prime only because of the money. 
But let me get real also and say that sometimes if I get some of that money, it means I have freedom to do the thing I really want to do, that I don't have to ask permission because I feel like I always have to ask permission to be who I am when I want to be who I am, right? And if I always have to ask permission, right, then there's something really, it's like, um, how do I heal? That's what I would say. How do I heal if I'm always having to ask permission? Oh, I went off there, but there's something. And I think we're all in on some level trapped, maybe too dramatic, but we're all we're all locked in. We're all locked in. I think your word of complicit is the right one. I think we're all complicit. I don't know a single person, even like the, the, the purest person who I know, I won't name her because I know she listens. Yeah. Would also be like, and I really like soft, comfy scarves. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, and I really like when I get a big grant because I get to do what I want to do. Yep. That's it. And I did same thing. And I don't have to ask, you know, yeah. and the other thing I want to say is sort of another sort of facet of that too, is it's taken me a long time. Like now in the last few years, all the work that I do is work that I want to do. I'm able to pay my rent by doing the work that I want to do. doesn't mean I don't have, I don't struggle with certain aspects of that or, you know, certain working relationships aren't challenging. It, Right, but the the difference is the work that you're doing in the world is in the social justice realm, yeah. right? You're navigating with the big greens. You're trying to get people to see something in a particular way. And the judgment that I'm sure comes in around how are you living your life in this, or if you're not the purest, who are you to tell me these things? I will never be the purest. And also, you know what? My be. parents had to work for somebody else. They didn't get to do what they love to do, whatever, or even discover what that is in order for me and my brothers to eat. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to own it. I'm going to own the fact that I get to show up. And you know what? Sometimes I'm lonely. Sometimes I, I wake up a lot at night. I did last night. I didn't get enough sleep last night, which is probably why I'm, because my brain would not shut off. You know, it was 3 a.m. And I worry, you know what I worry? I worry about things like, what if I get really sick up in this apartment in Burlington, Vermont? And you know, who do I call? I have a lot of friends and people, but I, I live alone. Like what happens? Can I, can I get it together fast enough? And then I worry about crazy stuff. Like, you know, I'm stuck in this overpriced, too small space that is just a, a mess. I said, it's messy. It's, and then I go, you know, my head goes, well, if they come to get me, this place is going to be a mess. I can't let them in. Like my, you know, my own inner crazy takes over. Like I'm, you're worried about like if something happens to you, like, you're, that what they think of your apartment. Like what I feel like I've you? just met like my your twin. Twin. Mm -hmm. I swear to God, Delma's like I can see it all spinning. Like mm -hmm. I wouldn't dare get on this pod without like I even the word video. No one's saying with same thing. I'm like, oh, I got to get my like eyebrow thing and and my like earrings the very least. Like I right and if they come in, I got to do the dishes before I go to bed because if I die, someone's gonna see the who the fuck who cares? the fuck cares the crazy is real. But you know what? We care. I care. You know, yeah. and actually. That has to count for something. You know, I, I don't, I don't need to always feel guilty about it or feel like that what I care about takes back seat. So many, I think the three of us, if I can say it safely and loosely in our, our various Please identities, do. you know, have been given the message that we don't matter, that it doesn't yeah. matter what we care about in our lives, whether yeah. it's, you know, film, education, business, you know, in our, you know, it's just been reflected back at us for so long. I'm going to claim that I care. I care. And actually, that counts for something. And I also believe if other people can see that, I was like, and you should care too. You should care about yourself and what you care about. You can own it and be authentic and work through what you have to work through. And, you know, the beautiful thing is change is real and we can always make different choices, you know. Um, I wanted to actually ask you something to that point yeah. and kind of hopefully weave together a couple of themes that you're naming um, our time in predominantly white spaces, white institutions, whether they be academic 
and the sort of spaces that tend to we collectively kind of see them as hyper progressive spaces. So like I'm thinking about UC Berkeley, right, which has this reputation for being a really progressive campus community. Um, And I think some of that is borrowed from, you know, the Black Panther Party's presence in that community for so long and some of the other activism. But I'm not going to touch that right now. Um, Big Green is another space that we just assume, whether it's Sierra Club, Nature Conservancy, right, you name it. We assume that there is like this hyper liberal, hyper progressive space. And yet when we as BIPOC folks. As women of color, right? You spoke earlier to this idea of, look, you brought me in here because of who I am. And now it seems like we have some issue here. There's some misunderstanding. There's some expectation you have that you did not necessarily articulate on the front end. It reminds me of all the diversity conversation in Big Green now. Do you really want me? Well, here's the thing, Delma. I would reframe it and say, you brought me in because of who you thought I was and who you needed me to be, which isn't really aligned mm-hmm. necessarily mm-hmm. with who I am, right? Mm-hmm. And this is my own work to do. I have no problem being angry and reflecting that. And my larger intention what is actually to be in better relationship across that difference to create an opportunity for others to lean into that and all that discomfort. What I also have come to understand in a lot of these big green and some, and to a lesser degree, some academic institutions, you know, the, all these spaces are made up of individuals. And so while I understand at one level, I can blame or sort of focus on the institution, the entity itself, I have to remember that there are, are individuals who are caught up in there. Some of them have more power than others. Some of them, you know, can't see what's going on and others are doing the work, you know, and trying to navigate in there because they have their own relationship to money and needs and freedom and autonomy and inde- independence, just like I do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I'm, the work for me to do first is be, you know, constantly and be on my own case <laughs> and being clear about what are my attentions coming to the game. If I've accepted the job, it doesn't mean I can't, I can still walk away from it. You know, there's, there's just consequences and I just have to be clear with myself about what that is. What yeah. is, how am I supported? Who can I talk to about it? How do I bring, I know, you know, in your next, you know, iteration, you're talking about love. You had mentioned that earlier. How do I actually bring that love to the table? What does that look like for me to do that? Because I'm going to come in and I would, I would want to be treated well. So I need to treat you well, which doesn't mean I'm not, I'm also going to treat myself well, meaning that you can't walk all over me. That's not it. That's not treating me well. And actually, it's not treating you well either because you're just going down the same path you perhaps have always gone down. But it's coming to it. It's like I want to widen. I want to actually move the boundaries of the sandbox. Like I've always said, I want to be on the beach. And so what happens, right, if I show up with that love and I'm going to say some hard things and try to meet you like that? I forgot where we were going with it, but there was somewhere we were going with that conversation. Well, yeah, no, I think you spoke to it. It's just the idea of finding ourselves, keeping ourselves, setting our boundaries when we're a part of these larger institutions that maybe have an idea of what they think they're inviting or who they think they're inviting. Yes. And when we get there. Yes. Right. Well, well, and some of it is they don't know, you know, what I've understood in these conversations more broadly about difference and diversity and the ways with a lot of these big institutions and organizations are saying that. I, I, a lot of times they're saying it. I think they actually mean what it is they're saying. They just 100%. They just don't know what it requires. Yes. yes. Yeah. And they don't really understand, you know, so they're, you know, when I can sense that they really, they mean it. But I can also go, but they don't know. (laughs) They also are afraid of the unapologetic sovereign anger 
that may show up yeah. in us when we're actually doing the work yeah. and this, the, that we're not allowed to be multifaceted in that. Yes. Yes. Well, this uh, assumption that we're not allowed to be multifaceted, as you said, in part is because they don't know what to do with that. Totally. Right. And that's not an excuse. It's totally. just like, wh- what do you do when I get my look on that? You know, when it's like, I've got to say this thing, you know, because I'm going to say it like this. <laughs> right. And I know it, it, the landing is hard. And, um, and maybe this is the work. This is the way that I work, Shandine Delma. So this may not be the way that you work. And I'm always working to, this is why I always feel tired too, because there's the choreography, like always having to, For real. the circles of care, as you were saying, is saying my work. So a couple of months ago, I did, I was facilitating a panel in Booth Bay, Maine at a botanical gardens. There were seven of us on the stage. I believe four people were indigenous and indigenous to Maine. And the conversation was about, and and the the other two was like me, were African and of African descent. And everybody, it was around land and food and having these conversations. The audience was about a hundred people, predominantly white, a lot of older folks, right? Um, And a lot of the conversation that was being had was a lot of the stuff that you all were saying, right? And they were talking about, and there was the anger and they were, everybody was saying stuff. As the moderator, partly my role was, you know, how does that meet this audience? And so I kept, you know, just expanding enough to say that, well, and we're all broken and we all have ancestors and there's a place. And afterwards, these two older, I would say, at least in their 60s, uh, white women came up to me and they said, you know, thank you for that. Because she says, one of them said, I'm Irish and my family never wants to talk about our past. And I know that's exactly what we need to do and claim. And I was like, yes, that right there. Like you just, you found the work that you need to do. So it, it doesn't become about the anger that might you might have been experiencing from some of us on the stage. It becomes, what did that anger reveal for you about you and where it is you need to go? Right? Does that make sense? And it doesn't always work. I mean, believe me, as you know, I know you know, that it doesn't always work. But for me, that's the work that I'm always, how can I, you know, create a wider opening? I'm not going to be less angry necessarily about something. I I may still get my feelings hurt within a moment and I'm going to have to call that out. All those things are true because I'm a human being, not simply because I'm black, because I'm a human being. Well, and this, this belief that, you know, one of my beloveds, Jonah is constantly on, which is no one's disposable. Yes. Right. That's right. And and I think about that in the context of who we can be in relationship with and how to get there, but that means we're not disposable. That's right. And just because you're paying us, we're not disposable. Does not mean we're disposable. No, right. Right. In the tradition of inviting every guest we've had, there's always a question we ask around um, their pettiness. My experience of you has been that you're all, you've always been really good at reminding me to zoom out a bit and give other people space to be who they're being and permission to be in their own struggle, regardless of what they're embodying, they're still human being. But I'm curious. When I feel like somebody is trying to shrink me now, sometimes, and what I mean by that is Mm -hmm. in a way that somebody's trying to get a grasp on who I am and what it is that I do and how I show up in the world and they devise a much smaller, linear, less interest. Like it, it's like they shrink me to size because it's easier. If I'm complex, because we all are, oh, by the way, but if I'm complex, you have to do a little more work because <laughs> you're kind of like, wait, I don't even understand how those two things. And often I always say part of what often gets a rise for me from someone is because there's something in them that's resonant for me that I see. It's a mirror. People are mirrors in many ways. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm on top of myself enough to know that, oh, that's what's happening right now. I need to get a grip. This person isn't even thinking about me. This is all about them. You yeah. know, a step yeah. back. But when I have, what happens to me is that if I'm in the middle of that interview and I get off and I beat myself up terribly because what I sense is I do, I get very tight. And what I mean mm-hmm. by that is, 
you know, that warmth, that Carolyn Finney, you know, she's so funny. Look at her. You know, she, it's gone with the wind. <laughs> you know, like mm. I'm just, mm. I can't even, I just get to, I'm not even trying, and I'm pushing, but it's not pushing in my usual way that I'm trying to expand your experience. Cause I'm here mm. trying to just get out of the cage. You, you, I feel like you're locking me in whether you are or not. And I'm not having it. I'm not mm-hmm. having it. And so I get tight, tight, tight in my response, but it's, it's a way. And I don't like when I get it. Cause, and, some, when it and when it starts to happen, I can't stop it. There's a way mm. that I, I, I feel like I can't stop it. And maybe the person mm-hmm. on the receiving end isn't even getting it. I don't know, mm-hmm. but I know that I'm, I'm answering and going, you know, and I answer harder. I'm less concerned about your ability to understand what it is that I'm saying. I'm just going to say the thing I want to say. And, and then I get off and I don't feel good about it at all. I don't feel good about it. A lot of these institutions in general are so siloed. Yes. That there's this expectation that your work and who you are are somehow two separate things. Yeah. And that may be the case for some folks. Yes. But the, in the circles I tend to move in, most of us are bringing our fullest selves as much as possible into the work we're doing. Yes. So you can't pull us apart from the work. No. And I don't want to be pulled apart from the work. I don't want to be pulled apart. And the invitation is for those of you who have made choices and perhaps don't recognize it as a privilege, as a way not to put yourself in the work, and then you still get to do the work. The invitation is to bring yourself into the work. Bring yourself to the work. Dr. Carolyn Finney, thank you so, so, so much. It is true. You really are the notorious Dr. Carolyn Finney. It has been such a gift to share this time. And I am telling you, you've got to come back for oh. season four when we're diving into love. I'm ready. I will be ready. <laughs> Maybe that's more of the truth. <laughs> yeah. right. uh, thank you. So, so, so much. Thank you for having me. No, for real. I really love this. I love talking to you and Shandine, and I want to do it again. Oh, yeah. Dive in Justice is a co-production of the Center for Whole Communities and Shoreline Consulting. The Center for Whole Communities exists to build capacity at the individual, organizational, and community level to deepen awareness, embrace differences, and value relationships, thus making change possible. Shoreline Consulting co-constructs solutions and strategies that align with your goals and leverages the voices, perspectives, and wisdom of those who stand to benefit. For more information on Center for Whole Communities, find us at Whole Communities. Communities.org. For more information on Shoreline Consulting, visit us at thinkshorelines.com. Dive in Justice theme song created by Nasir Thomas Jackson. Original music throughout today's episode created by Dana and Alden. Check out their debut album, Brothers on Spotify. Jenny Cotting helps us out with marketing and promotions. Thank you all so much. Without your effort, this show would not be possible.